Welcome to the Baby Tribe. I'm Katie Mugan from NursingMama.ie, a paediatric and public health nurse and a lactation consultant with over 20 years experience. And I'm Afif Al-Kafash, a neonatologist and paediatrician and a lactation consultant with over 20 years experience in newborn care. And together, we are your hosts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We are so delighted that you have decided to come back and listen to us again. So we're going to get started. So, Katie, how was your weekend? Very good. I spend my weekends pretty much in the car going from one GA pitch to a tennis court uh, with all the kids. How was yours? Yeah, my wife was away last weekend, so I have to be very careful in how I answer that and the words that I choose. So I also minded and cherished my two children. In other words, you mean parented. I parented. I did not babysit them. (laughs) I know we can't say that as dads. So um, I definitely minded. However, I mean, my my kids are 14 and 11. They need very little minding. They kind of grunt at me every now and again. My favorite child right now is the dog, Buddy. He's the only one that shows me affection these days, you know. (laughs) That's pretty sad, Afif. I know. I think you should go again for number three. Um, Moving on. Anyway, (laughs) so what are we going to talk about today? So we're going to talk a little bit about typical newborn behaviour in those first few days. And why do we find this such an important topic, Afif? I think that this is a very important topic to talk about because society has decided that babies should be in a very regimented pattern of behaviour almost immediately after delivery. They have to feed every three hours and they have to sleep in between. And if they deviate from almost military style pattern of behaviour, there are several conclusions is that you either don't have enough milk, you're not feeding your baby, or your baby's fussy, you're not a, your baby's not a good baby, your baby's a hungry baby. So I think dispelling a lot of those myths, regardless of whatever feeding method you choose after delivery, is important to help outline to parents how babies behave over the first few days and weeks after delivery. Absolutely. When we look at, particularly if you look at the breastfed infant first off, The very first milk a mom will produce is colostrum and it's in really small, tiny quantities in order for babies to learn to suck, swallow and breathe. And when we look at this, this leads babies going back to the breast eight to 12 times and eight is minimum. And when you talk about three hourly schedules, that's where the number eight comes from. And realistically, with a breastfed infant, they go back to the breast an awful lot more frequent, 10, 12, 14 times potentially in those very first few days. And Colostrum is in really small quantities, allowing baby back to the breast really frequently. And when we look at a colostrum, it is the powerhouse of nutrition. It has every ingredient your baby needs to grow and thrive. It's full of antibodies. It's rich in proteins, low in lactose, but it has everything that your baby needs to grow and thrive. But because babies go back to the breast so frequently in those first few days, parents are often led to believe that maybe moms don't have enough milk. And when we talk about even going on further around day three to day five, we see our milk start transitioning in. Around this time, parents are often told, oh, has your milk come in or is my milk coming in? I hate using those terms because it leads the parents to believe that maybe they don't have milk there in the very first instance. And with regards to the transitional milk coming in around day three to five. For some moms, if it's a second, third or fourth baby, you'll find the milk comes in maybe around day two or three. For first time moms, it can often be day four, closer to day five. And if they've had a difficult labour, if they've had a large blood loss, um, if the mother is quite unwell, you'll often find that that milk supply can be even later coming in. And this is where you will find parents being advised to top up. And in some situations that is required. However, going back to normal kind of behaviours, you'll find very often 
Um, I don't know about you, Afif, but I know definitely my first and second, they were really quiet on day one. They literally fed and slept. And I thought, Jesus, this is fantastic. We've hit the hit the jackpot. And then day two comes along and they start wakening up. They start becoming aware of the environment. And oftentimes they're still feeding really well. But every time you put them into that bassinet, it's like a bomb goes off. Their bums hit that mattress and they are alive and kicking. And then the cycle happens again where they go back up onto the breast and they want to be close. But we know and research shows that this is often referred to as the second night syndrome where babies are transitioning to life outside the womb. And where they were once cocooned in the womb for up to 40 weeks, they were happy, content. They could hear their muffled, the muffled voice of the mother, the heartbeat. And suddenly they're birthed into this wide open world where they're poked and prodded, loud voices, bright lights. They feel they're over handled. Breastfeeding isn't just about nutrition. It's a source of comfort, of feeling safety and secure. And when the baby feels vulnerable, they want to go back towards the chest and be connected to the mother. And this is normal newborn behaviour. And particularly on night two, you'll often find mothers are exhausted, they're tired, they're fatigued, and they don't have the partner there oftentimes to support them to say, do you know what, you got this. Take every feed as it comes, you'll get through it. The nights are lonely, but come the morning, if you can make it through that night, you will find the night, the, the daylight comes in and you can manage anything. What I will say is you're very vulnerable at that moment that if somebody kind of says to you, oh, your baby's hungry, you start questioning things. And if you don't have the knowledge that to know that this is normal newborn behavior, you're going to reach out and you're going to take the top up if it's advised to you. Whereas if we understand this is normal we need to keep our babies close. We need to hug them in that this will pass and it's just baby transitioning. So it is really important that we know, and Afif, I think you'll agree, that the feeds are really small on the first few days of life. Yes, absolutely, Katie. And I actually want to expand on a couple of things that you mentioned. I think you've given a beautiful description of how babies behave over the first couple of days after delivery. I want to first start with the language that we use sometimes in how we describe baby behavior. And you've alluded to that. When a baby is constantly with the mother and feeding frequently, we sometimes as healthcare providers describe that as being a hungry or a fussy baby. And that has negative connotations and already frames the behavior as being wrong or bad. But we actually need to work on how we describe those behaviors. For example, if we change what we say from, oh my gosh, your baby's so hungry, to look how alert and how eager to feed they are. That already reframes it as something that is good and is positive and that is normal. So about the volumes that the babies need over the first 24, 48 hours, I think it's important to put that in context for parents. In the setting of a healthy term baby with no risk factors, and by risk factors, I mean they may be of low birth weight or they may be born to a mom that has had gestational diabetes during the pregnancy. Yes, those are special situations that need sometimes addressing, but otherwise in a healthy term baby, they don't need a lot of volume over the first 24 hours. Those small feeds that you describe are only about five to 10 mils of a feed at a time. As a result, the baby needs to feed constantly in order to take enough milk over the first 24 hours, which may be as little as 50 mils, one and a half ounces of milk. That's probably all they need, something between 50 to 100 mils a day. That will go up on day two, to about 100 to 200 mils a day. But again, it shows you that they don't need huge amounts of milk if there are no risk factors. And describing a baby as hungry will add those negative connotations that the mum is not producing enough milk. This information is also relevant for mums that are not breastfeeding. 
Why do I say this? Well, sometimes we expect a baby to finish a whole bottle when we first give them a bottle on day one and day two. And we get nervous and worried when they only take 10 to 15 mils. But you got to remember that this is all they need and they will want to come back and feed frequently, even from a bottle. We shouldn't be worried if a baby's only taken 10 to 15 mils per feed from a bottle over the first 24, 48 hours, because that is within the kind of normal baby behavior routine. And I think you're right. I think more and more staff are now advising parents in those first few days that are feeding via the bottle that they don't need huge volumes because a lot of the pre-made bottles are 70 mils in them. And it can be very upsetting when a parent thinks, oh my God, I'm leaving half of this behind. They're not finishing it. Because I think historically you will find that, I know in my family it was always finish what's on your plate. And, you know, you have this idea that you have to finish what's there. And the same with goes with kids. And that's not the case. Babies are very good, especially breastfeds from the very offset, are very good at self-regulating their feeds. So they will feed little, they'll feel frequent. And also that can transfer over to the formula fed infant where they will feed smaller volumes in those first few days. Remember, the size of the tummy is tiny. So I think you've hit the nail on the head when parent, when you actually put it into context of five to kind of 10 mils per feed, it's so small, but that's all they need when they're so young. Yeah. And a good way of picturing how small a baby's tummy is, if you can imagine your newborn's baby's clenched fist, that's how small their tummy is. So yes, you don't need huge volumes to fill that tummy in the early newborn period. And the transition of milk through that tummy is very quick as well. So they may be hungry one or two hours, sometimes sooner after their feed. And again, that is normal baby behavior. Yes. And I will say just to top it off that when we talk about the three hours, I always kind of refer to parents and think three hours isn't a goal or a target to reach. It's just the longest spell we generally will leave a baby in the early days without a feed because we are trying to make sure that they're taking frequent feeds. Now, if a baby has fed every half hour, an hour, and then they take a bit of a longer stretch, so be it. It's in relative within the whole kind of 24 hour period. But we should always wake a sleeping breastfed infant because in some situations they don't wake as as easily and they may not take in as much breast milk and those kind of situations. However, it just depends on the mom and the baby that we're talking about at that moment in time. Yeah, you brought up sleep here. And I think it's important to mention how sometimes we feel that babies that take a large formula feed, they're described as look how well they're sleeping. Babies in the early newborn period are not designed to sleep for three to four hours at a time. And the reason they sleep for that long is because their tummies remained filled for longer. The formula stays in the stomachs sometimes twice or three times as long as breast milk, and it keeps the baby sleeping for longer. And again, That's not something that we should strive to achieve over the first 24, 48 hours of life. We should aim for small, frequent feeds, and that will actually help with babies puking milk up and help them transition a little bit better. Absolutely. Definitely well put. So what should we expect in terms of weight loss over the first few days? So obviously when babies are born, the baby's weight will be taken um, after they've had the kind of first initial uh, skin to skin with the mom. And then generally speaking, we will always see every baby will re- will drop in weight. It could be anywhere potentially between 7 to 10% is considered normal. And then kind of from about day four to day five, definitely within the breastfeed infant, we should start seeing them starting to gain. Um, small amounts, generally speaking, anywhere between 22 to 30 grams a day. And then coming up to around the two week mark, we'd expect them to be more back to birth weight. What we're hoping to achieve 
before discharge is to see an upward trajectory of the weight. Do not expect babies to regain their birth weight by the time they are being discharged from the hospital. And that's really important because sometimes parents are given figures in those panic stations. I will say if a baby is greater than 10%, it is something that we always look and see. And realistically, we must look and do a full, if it's the breastfed infant, we are looking and seeing and assessing a breastfeed. So unless a breastfeed has been viewed, you can't tell what the problem is. Is it baby not transferring milk? Is it a milk supply issue? Oftentimes it's just a tweak in positioning and ensuring that we don't leave baby sleep because sometimes it is down to not picking the baby up enough and letting them sleep a little bit longer than expected. But generally speaking, as you said, Afif, it's regular feeds and seeing an upward uh, trend with their weight. The PHN, the public health nurse, will always come out, generally speaking, within 72 hours of you being discharged. So if you get home that little bit earlier, which is fantastic, because if you have your partner to hand in your own environment at home, it can be an awful lot more comfortable. And oftentimes, if you're breastfeeding, things will just take off being in your own home environment. So... I will say the public health nurse will do a weight once you get home and then you'll have a two week check with your GP and they'll do a weight check again. And then your six week check will come in at that point. Great. And parents can get the reassurance that their babies are gaining weight when they get their weight checked with those encounters with healthcare providers. But how can parents tell that the baby's getting enough milk, regardless of the feeding method in between those checks with the healthcare providers? That's a really good question. I think it's something that every parent asks and has a concern about. So if you are at home and you've got a new baby, for you, the biggest clinical indicator is looking at their wet and dirty nappies. Um, Some people will use apps to write down, sometimes plain and simple, a pen and paper is just really handy and looking at your baby's output. So what do we expect? Day one, one wet nappy. Day two, two. Day three, three. Day four, And from day five onwards, we'd expect five to six plus wet nappies a day. And that's basically in the very early days, you'll find that you have to look at the nappy. And I don't know if you know this, you probably do because you're an expert at this stage, Afif, is that on your nappy, your baby's nappy, there will be a line down the middle. And this is the best invention anyone could have come up with. But once it turns blue, it's like a little yellow line. It'll turn blue once the baby has weed or past urine. So this is a very clear indicator. But by about day five um, or six, you would expect that if you lift up the nappy, it's good and wet. You can tell quite clearly that your baby's had a wet nappy. Then what we're looking at, we're looking at the dirty nappies. The dirty nappies are a good indicator of how much nutrition the baby is taking in. So that very first nappy on day one, it's black, it's tarry, greeny kind of stool, and that's called meconium. Generally, you'll have one dirty nappy to possibly two on the first day, then on the second day, one to two, and they will increase in volume. When we're talking about the breastfed infant, generally speaking, they will probably, they could have a dirty nappy on every nappy change, but that's more when we're hitting about the day five or six. And oftentimes you will see a changing and transitioning in colour from the black tarry stool towards the yellowy mustard seedy stool. And I say always to every parent, if you've hit the yellow mustard seedy stool, you've hit the jackpot. And there's a real distinctive smell off it. It's kind of sweet. Um, it's not as strong an odour as you'll often find a baby with a with the formula feeds. With formula fed babies, you will find the stool may not be as yellowy in colour, kind of more a mustard, darker, and it may be a little bit more pasty, but it still should be quite loose. In the breastfed infant, just be aware that runny, loose stool is very normal and it often doesn't change in consistency really until a baby is hitting solids. I have a little nugget for you about that blue line that you accused me of not knowing about. Oh, I I knew you knew about it. So, and I I suppose this is a serious um, 
thing to talk about as well, because sometimes the first pee can be elusive. A lot of the time babies can actually pee immediately after delivery. That might not be noticed by the parents or the healthcare providers. So do not be alarmed if your baby doesn't wee over the first 24 hours. Second, if they do their big, thick, tarry stool and then pee after that, you might not get a change in the color of the nappy to change blue because the tarry stool is actually blocking the urine from achieving that color change. That's really important and well done for actually sharing that because I do find parents will often say, oh, my baby's had like four dirty nappies, but no wet nappies. And that's quite unusual because usually the bowels open, they, they will pass urine as well. For any parents that are changing nappies and you've got a little boy, guaranteed as soon as you take that nappy off, I think we'll all agree, Afif, you're guaranteed to get soaked. So uh, placing a little piece of cotton wool over the penis and just always keeping the penis pushed downwards when you're putting the nappy on will prevent your vests changed frequently. Very sensible advice. Can we just briefly mention urate crystals? Yes, so we can see these. Um, and in fairness, um, we can see them kind of day two, day three, oftentimes. And I wouldn't be alarmed straight off if we're getting frequent and lack of dirty nappies and feeds may not be going very well, then it is a clear indication that maybe we need to address it. So what? how do they look like in the nappy? Oftentimes you'll see kind of an orange rusty looking colour within the nappy when they've passed urine, sometimes very small amounts. Um, as a once off, I generally wouldn't be too concerned, but it's always something to let the midwives know if you if you spot them in the nappy in the hospital. And if they continue, it is something to be uh, to note. Yeah. And don't be alarmed. Sometimes parents think that it might be blood and they, and they worry as well. On that note, um, sometimes little girls can sometimes have tiny bleeds shortly after delivery. And that's nothing to be alarmed about either. That's great, actually, because many parents aren't aware of that, Afif. Great. So Afif, for parents sitting at home today and they're wondering, are things going OK? And they're a bit unsure. Tell us the red flags that you would say these automatically need a referral? That's a very good question, Katie. The first thing we look out for when the baby's in the hospital is, as you mentioned, are they losing more than 10% of their original birth weight? Because if they lose more than 10%, that could be an indication that there isn't enough milk transfer, that the volume of milk intake is low, or there could be other medical conditions that are contributing to this degree of weight loss. So I think it needs a medical review and the Midwives will always alert the paediatricians when that happens. After the babies are discharged home, they will usually be visited by a public health nurse within 48 hours and a weight check will happen then. And then the next check really will be with the GP at around two weeks of age. In the interim, the parents should be looking at regular wet nappies about six to eight times a day and regular stooling as well. So if a baby is being fussy and they're not really wetting their nappies that often, and there are long gaps in between their stool, there could be a day or two, then that could be a reason to actually get the baby checked out. And at two weeks of age, we usually check and make sure that the baby has regained their birth weight. And really beyond that, what we're looking for is a normal rate of growth. So Katie, how, ma how many grams a week should a baby generally gain in a, in a rough sense? So roughly speaking, about we say about 180 to 200 grams plus a week. 150 is acceptable, but if we remained 150 each time, sometimes you will find they'll just fall a little bit on centiles. So when the public, every time the public health nurse will see you, they will plot the baby on the centiles. So at three months, at nine to 11 months, and this is a very clear indicator on how baby's growth is doing. But roughly speaking, you don't need to look at and have your baby weighed 
every week because it can bring an awful lot of anxieties to parents. I think you'll agree, Afif, that we see some parents overweighing and some babies not being weighed at all. So it's just finding the right balance. And like Afif said, looking at your baby's personality. Are they happy and content after feeds? Are they happy in between feeds? Every baby has a fussy period. That's how they communicate. They're not very happy. But if it's continuing that it's happening all the time and then you look at the wet and dirty nappy output and if the weight is faltering at all, then it's time to go and get help. Yes. And if you're ever concerned, get in touch with your healthcare provider. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. But before we get to my weekly nerdy segment, a quick word from our sponsor. When choosing your antenatal care journey, you need a team that you can trust. Here at Evie, we offer personalised, multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment, ranging from consultant care, high-end scanning and prenatal testing, to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. Our team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynaecology and paediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact us today on 01 293-3984 or visit our website at ev.ie for more information. Evie, a game changer in antenatal care. And we're back for Afif's nerdy segment of the week. What have you got for us, Afif? So Katie, this week I'm actually going to talk about a piece of research that we did here in collaboration with colleagues from Harvard, Oxford and the University of Toronto. Very posh altogether. Wow. I'm a neonatologist, so we deal with a lot of premature babies. And we are now learning more and more about how babies that are born preterm do in their early childhood and going into early adulthood. And one thing we're learning is that they may have issues with their cardiovascular health going forward. It means that they may have a higher chance of having high blood pressure, a higher chance of having poor exercise tolerance, meaning that they may not be able to tolerate excessive degrees of exercise, and they're at a higher risk of developing cardiovascular events. What we did was we followed a group of preterm babies that were all born before 29 weeks up until a year of age. And what we found was that when we compared how their heart works at a year of age to babies that are born term, there were clear differences between the two. So babies that are born preterm had lower heart function measured using heart ultrasound. What we actually did was we compared babies that were born preterm that received their mother's own milk while they were in the neonatal intensive care unit and compared them to preterm babies that received formula. And what we found was babies exposed to their mother's own milk had heart function much closer to healthy term babies compared to babies that received formula. So the lower heart function was predominantly seen in babies that received formula. That's really interesting, Afif. But do you not think then this might create an awful lot of anxieties for parents who aren't breastfeeding? I'm glad that you brought this up, Katie. And I want to address that because I think it is important that we address parental anxieties. The thing I would say is that we looked at breast milk exposure only while the baby was in the neonatal intensive care unit. So even if mothers aren't intending to breastfeed long term, they may they may be more willing to provide breast milk to their babies while the baby's in the intensive care unit. So what we learned from this is that even a relatively short period of exposure to mother's own milk can have long lasting effects on the cardiovascular health of babies. The second thing I wanted to say is that we in Ireland are in a fortunate position that if mothers can't or unable to breastfeed, 
or unable to provide breast milk for their premature babies, we now offer donor milk to all of those families until they reach a certain weight. And what our study has shown is that there are also benefits to receiving donor milk ahead of formula for the cardiovascular well-being of these preterm babies. So I suppose I wanted to reassure parents that if breast milk is not available, there is donor milk at hand to support the growth and development of their preterm babies over the first crucial three to four months following delivery. That's amazing. And I suppose that will help parents who maybe don't choose to breastfeed or are unable to do so, that there's still options there for them. We want to re-emphasize that in this podcast, we want to remain inclusive and we want to make sure that we provide relevant, unbiased information for all families, regardless of the method of feeding that they choose. Absolutely. Well said. Okay, Katie. So it's now time for our Q&A section. We received an email from one of our listeners. Congratulations on starting the podcast. Really looking forward to it. Thank you very much. I have two questions. Can you talk about craniosacral therapy osteopaths for babies? It's often recommended when there are breastfeeding difficulties and or fussy baby, particularly after C-section. I wonder what the evidence is and also your own opinions. And number two, this query is for a friend. Do you have advice on healing from breastfeeding grief when it did not work out? Two great questions. So we'll start with the craniosacral therapy or the body work, as we often call it. And body work, um, I suppose, is the general term that refers to any kind of manual therapy that involves kind of application of light touch or pressure on a baby. And I will say it's always very minimal um, and it doesn't hurt the baby at any um, in any way. When we talk about how babies are born, they can often be born via vacuum deliveries or C-section. Um, forceps deliveries in these babies uh, when we look at them as, as a breastfeeding infant and not just breastfeeding infants, but that's what I'm kind of going to focus on at the moment. But you'll often find that they can be they can struggle sometimes with feeding. Um, these are particularly in babies if when I'm doing my assessment and I look at them, when I lift them up, I will look at their head lag. I will look and do a suck reflex. I'll do an oral assessment. You'll often find that sometimes these babies, they can be a bit uncoordinated with their sucking. They can be a bit chompy when they're uh, when they are sucking. You'll find sometimes they can have quite a strong head tilt or a side preference. And side preference errors can be found in babies from as early on as 20, 24 weeks in the womb. But in some babies, it can really impact when we're feeding, um, when babies are feeding on the breast. And you'll find that they'll go to one side and they'll be really happy and content. But when a parent moves them over to the opposite side, they can be uh, quite unsettled, fussy initially. They will latch, but they struggle with it. We have found there's no clear scientific evidence to support body work. However, uh, the anecdotal evidence is clear and uh, many lactation consultants around the world, including myself, uh, use it and would recommend it quite a lot in private practice. And we do see the benefits. Next, the query for the friend with regards to healing from breastfeeding grief. And I think, Afif, this is a huge part. When a parent chooses or hopes to breastfeed, when it doesn't work out, it can be hugely upsetting for a parent. I think starting out, it is about listening to that uh, mother and allow her to express her feelings without offering advice. Being told it's just a bottle or their baby's feeding just as well on the other side doesn't help a mother in those situations. There's a really good book um, available now, Prof Amy Brown, and it's Why Breastfeeding Grief and Trauma Matters. And it's really, really 
simple, but it's just absolutely brilliant. And it hits every element that a parent goes through in those early stages of breastfeeding grief. Um, Finding a support network is really important. Listening, don't offer advice and just allow them to talk and be there for them. That's all very good advice. Well, folks, we have come to the end of our episode. We hope that you've enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you next time. Absolutely. Stay tuned for episode three. And make sure to look after your tribe. That's all for this episode of The Baby Tribe. We hope you found the information and advice we shared to be helpful and informative. Remember, every baby is different and what works for one may not work for another. Trust your instincts and don't hesitate to reach out to your local healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating or review. This will help others discover the Baby Tribe podcast and benefit from the information we provide. We'll be back next week with another episode, so be sure to tune in. Until then, take care of yourself and your tribe. Thanks for listening.